I am so glad you're here. I get so jacked up at Easter. I get so excited I don't sleep, I can hardly eat, and I think I get excited because I know whenever Easter weekend rolls around, I am going to be speaking to one of the most diverse crowds I speak to any other time of the year. For example, a lot of you are here, and you're here every weekend. And I mean, you're, every time the doors are open at church, you're at church. And although you're excited it's Easter, in a lot of ways it's just another e weekend for you because for us it's kind of like Easter every weekend, right? And then there's some of you here, uh, quite honestly, we haven't seen you since Christmas. We refer to you as, as the Lily Poinsettia crowd. But we're glad you're here, and we're excited that, you know, we'll probably see you again next Christmas. So we're, we're glad you're here. And then there's some people, you know, you love your mom, you're just trying to make your mom happy, and you knew it would make your mom happy to go to church on Easter, and you can call her later on and say, guess what I did this weekend? I went to church, and your mom's going to be so happy, so you're here. And then there's a few guys here. You met some good-looking lady at work or maybe in your apartment complex, and she said, hey, if you'll go to church with me on Easter, maybe I'll date you. See, the key word there, guys, was maybe. Maybe. That's what you call a loophole. She's probably not going to actually date you. But you're here, and we're glad you're here. Regardless of why you're here this weekend, we are here to celebrate Easter. But you know what's interesting in America? This is what I've noticed. There are a lot of things we celebrate, and there are a lot of holidays and special days we celebrate, but we're not really sure why we're celebrating them. I'll give you an example. Uh, two weeks ago, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Do you remember that? Some of you don't because you drank too much, but we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. And when we think of St. Patrick's Day, we think of parades, we think of wearing green, pinching people who don't wear green, uh, eating corned beef and cabbage, and, and as I said, drinking a lot of beer. And, and that's kind of what, you know, St. Patrick's Day has become in America. But in reality, if you've ever done any research, you know that St. Patrick, he, he wasn't actually Irish, he was British. He was a missionary who went to Ireland and he took with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Basically, he Christianized Ireland and we are so glad because if you've got Irish friends, you know they need Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? And he did that and that's kind of, we set aside this day to honor what he did. Now, let me ask you, now that you know that, two weeks ago when you celebrated St. Patrick's Day, did any of you stop and reflect on the conversion of the Irish by St. Patrick? I doubt it. Did anybody, when you were getting ready to eat that corned beef and cabbage, did anybody say, before we eat this, let's pause for a minute and let's just reflect on St. Patrick and what he did to reach Ireland? No, we, didn't, we have no idea why we're celebrating St. Patrick's Day. I'll give you another one. This has always confused me. Why do we call it birthdays? I mean, when's the last time you went to a party and someone actually celebrated the day they were born. Isn't that what a birthday is? I mean, how weird would that be? Can you imagine? Thank you for coming to my party. We're going to have some ice cream and cake in just a few minutes. But before we do, I want my mom to come up here and share what it was like the day she gave birth to me. <laughs> and then after that, her doctor's going to come up because, well, he's got a whole different perspective, if you, if you know what I mean, you know. And then we're going to watch the DVD of my actual birth. Just sit back and relax. No, that's gross. Nobody would ever go to a birthday party. So why don't we, do we call it age day or I survived another year party, right? Hey, here's another one, 4th of July. 4th of July, think about it. It was established to celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Now let me just ask you, when's the last time you went to a 4th of July party and someone got up and said, can I have your attention? I will now read to you the Declaration of Independence. Have you ever seen the Declaration of Independence at a 4th of July party? No, it's about baseball, it's about hot dogs and picnics and fireworks. In fact, some of you, thanks to the Wake County School System, you now know why we celebrate the 4th of July. You didn't know it before this weekend, right? 
You thought it was just another day, you got a day off work. What's interesting is when we celebrate Easter, it's, it's kind of the same way. I mean, most people, when they think about Easter, they think about Easter egg hunts, they think about parades, they think about, I'm going to get an Easter outfit, or maybe spring break, we're going to go on vacation, or we're going to hang out with family, we're going to have some food. Certainly, it's about peeps. I mean, when you ask people what Easter is about, that, that's Easter. But this is what I want you to understand over the next few minutes this weekend. Easter is the celebration of a single event that took place over 2,000 years ago. It's not the celebration of Christianity. It's not the celebration of the church. It's not the celebration of Jesus. It's not even a celebration of the teachings of Jesus. Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But like many other special days, that, that message has been lost in the busyness of what Easter has become. Now, you may be here this weekend, and you may be glad that the message has been lost. I mean, after all, if you're honest, you would say, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I think he's a great teacher. I think he has some great ideas. And you're not against church, and you're not anti-religion. But this idea that a man died, and three days later he came back to life, you just can't get there. I mean, you just can't wrap your brains around that. And I get that. I mean, I understand that. It does defy human logic. In fact, you may be here this weekend, and you may be thinking, you know, if Christians... If they would just take that resurrection part out of Christianity, if they would just focus on the teachings of Jesus, well, then maybe I would be a lot more open to being a Christian. I would be a lot more open to Christianity. And even though that probably would be, if we kind of took out the whole idea that a dead man died and came back to life, if we kind of took that out of Christianity, it might make it more believable for you. It might make it more acceptable for you. But the reality is we just can't do that. Because if, if we took the resurrection out of Christianity, you got to understand, there would be no Christianity. Because you got to understand that the resurrection, it is the epicenter of what Christianity is all about. I mean, it is huge. Think about it this way. There are hundreds of world religions. All but four are built on philosophies, not personalities. There are only four that are built on personalities or individuals. Of the four that are built on personalities... Only Christianity makes the claim that its founder is still alive. Did you realize that? Think about this. Uh, Judaism, it's the oldest of the four. Founder was Abraham. Historians tell us that Abraham died about 1900 B.C. Not one historian has ever recorded a time when Abraham, after he died, came back and he appeared to one of his followers. Do you know why? It's because when Abraham died, he stayed dead. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Buddha, he died in 483 B.C. This is what one historian writes. When Buddha died, he died with that utter passing away in which nothing remains behind. That's a historian's way of saying when he died, he stayed dead. Islam was founded on Muhammad and his teaching. This is what a historian writes. There is no record of Muhammad having existed after his death or ever appearing to his disciples. Muhammad died June 8, 632 A.D. and was buried in Medina where his tomb is visited annually by thousands of of devout Muslims. And guess what? Everyone who visits his tomb realizes that the tomb is occupied because when Muhammad died, he stayed dead. But this is what makes Christianity different. Its founder, Jesus Christ, claims to have risen from the dead. And if he didn't, this is important because if he didn't rise from the dead, 
then Jesus is just another in a long line of great teachers. And, you know, there have been a lot of great teachers down through history that have come and gone. In fact, there's a woman here every weekend. She'll say, Mike, I'm telling you, you are the greatest teacher I've ever heard in my life. And you cannot discount her and ignore her just because it's my mom. You know what I'm saying? you you gotta, you got to give her some credit. So there have been a lot of great teachers down through history. And so if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he was just a great teacher. If he was just a great teacher, well, we should probably pick and choose what we like. Decide whether or not we want to apply it to our lives and just move on. But think about this. If Jesus really did die, and if three days later he really did come back to life, then you got to take this guy seriously. I don't know about you, but if Jesus died and came back to life, I want to be on his team, right? And so the resurrection of Jesus, it is the very center of Christianity. Not the ministries of Jesus, not the teaching of Jesus, Not even the death of Jesus. A lot of people have died on a cross. It all rises and falls. It all depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this weekend and you're thinking, Mike, I thank you. I appreciate the invitation. But I could never in a million years believe that a man died and then three days later he came back to life. I want you to know if that's what you're thinking, you're in really, really good company. Because even those who lived with Jesus for three years, those who traveled with Jesus for three years, those who listened to his teaching for three years, those who left everything to follow Jesus, understand that when Jesus died, they didn't think he was coming back either. I'll give you an example. After Jesus died, there were two men who came forward. One's name was Joseph of Arimathea. The other was Nicodemus. These were both a part of Judaism. But they began to follow Jesus, and they listened to Jesus. And during that process, they became followers of Jesus. Nobody knew it. They were like secret followers. So they went to Pilate after the crucifixion, and they, they, said, they said, Pilate, give us Jesus' body. Let us take the body down off the cross. And when they got the body of Jesus, guess what they did with it? Well, I'll tell you what they didn't do with it. They didn't take it home, prop it up in a recliner like Weekend at Bernie's turn on Sports Center and eat Cheetos for three days, waiting for him to come back. They didn't do that, right? And they didn't do that because they saw him die, and they assumed that he was going to stay dead. So you know what they did? They, they took the body to a tomb. They hurriedly prepared his body. They put him in the tomb. They rolled the stone in front of the mouth of the tomb, and they went home. Why did they do that? Because even though they were followers of Jesus, they believed that he was dead and they believed that he was going to stay dead, party over. No one who followed him expected a resurrection. In fact, let me show you how his closest followers, we would call them his inner circle. I want to show you how they reacted the day after Jesus' death and burial. It'll kind of blow your mind. If you have your Bible, Luke 24, 1, if not, you can follow along up on the side screen. This is what it says. On the first day of the week, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. Now, my guess is this is what the ladies are thinking. Men, there is no way Nick and Joe got this right. There is no way they gave Jesus a proper burial. See, that's not what it says, but I know women, so I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, okay? They were thinking, we need to go back to the tomb, and we need to do it right. We need to make sure that the body's properly taken care of, right? Now understand, these are women whose lives have been changed by Jesus. They've listened to his teaching. They've followed him. 
But instead of waiting for Jesus to come back to life, they went to the tomb. And what did they do? They finished preparing his body for burial. And it's because he was dead. They watched him die. And they believed that he was going to stay dead. But notice what it says in verse 2. When they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? And the women are thinking, because he's dead. We saw him die, right? Don't give us a hard time. We're just here to make sure he has a good burial, a proper burial. Verse 6, this is what they said. He is not here He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So the angel quotes something that Jesus has said to his followers numerous times. But every time Jesus tried to tell them that it wasn't going to end well for him, they never listened. They just tuned him out. Do you know why? Because they're thinking, Jesus, come on now. You're the Son of God, and nothing bad is ever going to happen to the Son of God. So the angel says, Jesus tried to tell you exactly what was going to happen. You wouldn't listen to him. And then it says in verse 8, then they remembered his words. Oh, yeah. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. Remember, Judas is gone. He's hung himself. So now there's just 11. And to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now, notice the apostles' response. They did not believe The women. In other words, there was nothing inside of the apostles that said, it's true. It happened just the way he said. No, look what it says, verse 11. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So these women came back and said, you will not believe what we found. There were angels. They said, he's not here. He's risen. He's alive. And they're like, that is the stupidest thing we've ever heard in our life. And what I want you to see is a resurrection seemed to those first century followers just as it seems to many of you listening this weekend. The idea that a a guy died and three days later came back to life, nonsense. Nobody expected it. You can read the Gospels yourself. Nobody was waiting outside the tomb counting down to day three for the big reveal, you know, for the big miracle, for the big moment. In fact, do you know what Jesus' followers were doing after Jesus died? (laughs) Those losers went fishing. That's what they did. They were so discouraged, they were so distraught that they had wasted three years of their life following Jesus around Palestine. They went and hid because they thought they were going to be the next ones on a cross. They weren't out holding a let's keep the dream alive rally. They were having let's keep us alive rally. And finally, while they're hiding, one of the disciples speaks up and he says, hey, I don't know about you guys. I got to find a job. I got to make a living. So they went back to what they knew. They went back to fishing because in their minds, the charade was over. In their minds, Jesus was a fraud. And now they got to move on whether they like it or not. No matter how sad they are, no matter how heartbroken they are, they've got to move forward. They got to find real jobs again. Now you got to understand something here. Jesus is partly to blame for this mess. I mean, if Jesus would have just taught, you know, good things like love one another, you know, forgive one another, 
Be kind to one another. Help the poor when you get an opportunity. If he would have just stayed focused on those kinds of subjects, well, then when he was crucified, his followers could have said, you know what? Let's keep the dream alive by at least spreading the teachings of Jesus. I mean, he taught some really, really good stuff. The problem is Jesus didn't just keep it to loving one another and forgiving one another and being kind to one another. In fact, Jesus kind of went too far. There was one occasion where he had the audacity to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. On another occasion, he said, I and the Father are one. In other words, everywhere Jesus was going, every time he taught, he was constantly comparing, equating himself to God. Everybody that heard him teach clearly understood, I think he's claiming to be God. But I think this is what really pushed the people over the edge. I think it's one day when Jesus was teaching and he made this statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can have a relationship with the Father except by going through me. No one can be reconciled back to God and have their sins forgiven without going through me. And my guess is when the disciples were sitting there and they heard Jesus say that, they were probably thinking, well, Jesus, why don't you just paint us into a corner? I mean, that's pretty exclusive. The only way to God is through you. That doesn't leave us a whole lot of wiggle room, right? And if that wasn't enough, Jesus was going around telling everybody, I'm going to die. After three days, I'm going to come back to life. In other words, Jesus made it painfully clear about who he was, God, and what he was going to do. He was going to die. Three days later, he was going to come back to life. But they never believed him. Even his closest followers, they never took him seriously. And so that's why when Jesus died, when he said, it is finished, their dream died. Because now they're distraught. Now they're thinking, how in the world could God allow himself to be arrested? How could God allow himself to be bound? How could God allow himself to be beaten within an inch of his life and die in the most humiliating way known to man? I mean, if he was God, this is what they're thinking. There's no way this happens. So they conclude, obviously he was a hoax. Obviously he was a phony. Joke's on us. There's no use to hold a keep the dream alive rally. It's over. What I want you to see is even those who so closely followed him, his inner circle, not a one of them, not a one of them for one second believed that Jesus was going to die and then three days later come back to life. Yet, this is what is undeniably true. That same group who by their own admission said, we lost faith, we scattered, we ran away, we gave up, we lost hope, we thought it was over, we thought we'd been scammed, we thought we had been deceived. These are the same people that went out and spent the rest of their lives spreading the news, Jesus was crucified, Jesus died, and three days later he rose from the dead. So, the question is this. I mean, this is the tension that you have to resolve in this story. What happened between it's nonsense, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, and the decision to spend the rest of their lives traveling around spreading the message of the resurrection? In fact, did you know that these guys who at one point were hiding for their lives became willing to die 
for that message? I don't know if you've ever heard. To me, this is the greatest proof of the resurrection. Let me tell you what happened to these guys. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia by a sword. Mark died in Egypt after being drugged by horses through the streets of the city of Alexander until he died. Luke was hanged in Greece for preaching about the resurrection. Peter was crucified upside down. What happened was Peter was arrested, taken back to Rome with his wife. He was brought out. His wife was executed. He was put back in prison. He was brought out the next day when they were ready to crucify him. He says, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as my Savior. And they crucified him upside down. James Jesus' half-brother was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple. He fell over 100 feet. Somehow he survived the fall, and he was beaten to death with a club. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem for preaching. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia, now Turkey. He was flayed to death by a whip while preaching about the resurrection. Andrew was crucified after being whipped by seven soldiers. He hung on, and he died two days later. Thomas was stabbed to death with a spear, while preaching in what we now know as India. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows when he would not deny his faith. Matthias, remember Judas defected and they picked a 12th apostle, it was Matthias. He was stoned and beheaded for preaching about the resurrection. Paul was tortured and then beheaded by Emperor Nero. The only one who wasn't executed was John. Instead, he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. So let me ask you a question. What changed? <laughs> How did these bunch of cowards go, I'm going back to fishing, to dying for what they believed? Well, I can tell you what changed. They saw him. You see, these men and women, they didn't give up their lives for what they believed. They gave up their lives because of what they didn't believe. But then they began to believe. Once they saw the risen Savior. Once they saw a dead man come back to life. You see, it wasn't because of all that Jesus taught. Because even after all he taught, they still deserted him and went fishing. It wasn't because of all the miracles he performed. Because even after watching him perform all the miracles, they still went into hiding. It wasn't because he died on the cross because... You know, even after the crucifixion, that didn't do anything to ignite anything in the hearts of these men. What happened was they saw a dead man come back to life. And when he came back to life, oh, that changes everything. That's a new day, right? And so everything we are as followers of Jesus hinges not on a teaching, not on a philosophy, it hinges on one single event. It hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, we don't follow Jesus because it changes our lives, even though it does. We don't follow Jesus because we made a great study and we came down to the fact that it's the best of all the religions. We don't do that. We follow Jesus because when he rose from the dead, he verified his identity. It was as if he said, I told you, I told you, I am who I said I am. And this is what's cool. When you can believe that, when you can get your arms around that, when you can understand that Jesus died to pay for your sins and he rose again that, to prove that he is the one who is worthy of being able to pay for your sins and reconcile you back to God, when you can believe that just like the, the th disciples thousands of years ago and just like many of his followers who are sitting around you this weekend, I'm telling you this, it will transform your life 
forever. It's really kind of simple. This is what you have to do. You have to transfer all your trust from who you are and what you're trying to do to get back in that relationship with God. You know, you're trying to be a good person. You go to church. You're trying to be a good spouse, trying to be a good parent, trying to be, you got to quit trying to do everything yourself, quit relying on you, and you've got to place all of your trust in what Jesus already did 2,000 years ago in front of thousands of witnesses. And just as Easter is a celebration of an event in history, your salvation in heaven is a celebration. I'm going to tell you, this could be the day. I want you to hear a story of someone whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ. Watch the side screens. So I grew up going to church on Sundays, and it was really just a Sunday routine to go to church, and there was really nothing deeper than that. At some point, I turned to drugs um, for fulfillment or happiness or whatever. Within several months, I was involved with um, some people who were no good for me to be around, and there were some robberies and some home invasions, and it was really, I knew that I was hanging around with the wrong crowd. And on September 4th, 2004, the guy that I had been buying my drugs from murdered two people. And I didn't know at the time that he had um, shot anyone and he asked me for a ride and I picked him up and come to find out he had actually killed two people. The headlines called it the NC State tailgate shootings. And um, so I was arrested for accessory after the fact of first degree murder. And Ultimately, I ended up taking a plea bargain. I had to testify in a couple trials. And um, it was a really hard time for me and my family. I was a single mom and I was working and I had gone back to night school so that I could try and provide for her. And life just got to be overwhelming. And I still didn't understand that I could turn to God with anything and that I could go to him with my struggles. And so I turned back to drugs. I remember people from the church, Mike and Carl, coming to my house and confronting me. And it, looking back, was so significant that, that the church didn't ostracize me, that I wasn't too bad for church, that the church could love me through my, my lowest points in my life. They loved me through the murder trials, and they loved me through my drug use, and they loved me through having a baby when I was not married, and um, so ultimately I violated my probation and I had to go back to jail, and Cameron had to go stay with her grandma for a while, and that was not exactly when my relationship with God started either. Um, I, it took me about a year, I guess, for life to get back to normal. And it was the summer of 2009, and I went to a small group, and that really, really was the turning point. Um, those people were so they loved me so much. 
and it was a place where I felt safe and comfortable and loved and I could learn and ask questions and there came a point when it was time for me to move out and get my own place and it was a struggle being a convicted felon and having awful credit trying to find someone that was willing to rent to me was really difficult and somebody from the church chance on me and gave me a place to live. And I've been there now almost three years. And my small group helped me move in and my small group helped furnish first apartment. It has been the people at Hope who have loved me where I was and encouraged me to grow that really have been instrumental in my relationship with God. Life is still not easy. I still am so far from perfect and I make mistakes all the time. But God loves me, and I'm forgiven. And I don't have to go through anything alone. Because there are people at the church who love me and support me, and because God is always with me. And I can turn to Him for help and strength in anything that I'm going through. It's been really cool to watch Him show up in my life the more I trust Him. Now, your story may not be as dramatic, but in the same way as Rachel, God just wants to have a relationship with you. So here's the question I'm going to ask you to wrap it up. Has there been a moment, has there been a time in your life when you said, God, I am placing all of my faith, all of my trust in what Jesus did on the cross for the payment of my sins? And I believe that Jesus died and he came back to life that first Easter to prove that he was who he said he was. Now, here's the deal. If you've never made that decision in your life, I'm going to just ask everybody, just, just bow your heads with me. Let's just do that. And I want to just kind of lead you in a prayer. I don't want to give you a chance to make that decision because, to be honest with you, I don't want you to go through another Easter season without having the opportunity to tell God that you want to have a relationship with him and that you believe. Just put this into your own words, and you can say it from your heart. But just say, Dear God, I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that when he died, he died for me. I believe that he was buried. And I believe that he rose after three days. I believe that he is the Savior of the world. And I receive him right now as my Savior. Please accept me into your family not based on my efforts, not even based on this prayer, but based on my faith in what you did on my behalf. Thank you for forgiving me and accepting me. Father, I just pray right now for maybe anyone who's praying that prayer. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And through what he did for us, we get to be reconciled and have that relationship with you. And our sins are forgiven. And Father, even more importantly, because the resurrection of your son, we, we now have the power to become the people you created us to be, to find the purpose in life that you created us to live. 
And Father, I just pray that people will find that freedom and discover that relationship with you. What a shame to go through Easter and miss the real meaning. May they discover it this year. In your name we pray. Amen.